0: We are doing a series, right, on uh, called "Living Legacy," on parenting primarily, or at least parenting is the lens through which we're looking at this concept of spiritual development of other people. And so, hopefully, uh, you've been learning a lot uh, through this, whether or not you happen to be biological parents, because all of us are uh, to be people that reproduce our faith in the lives of others. And so even if we're not biologically kind of parents, we uh, should be growing up to maturity, which means that we're parenting someone in some sense, somehow, because we're all called to be disciplers. And so hopefully that's starting to happen, or at least we're starting to learn some things uh, that are helping us to do that. So if you remember through the series so far, we've talked a lot about roles. What is the role that, uh, of particular people? James, do you have your hand up? Okay. All right. Just making sure. When I answer any questions this morning, yeah, <laughs> um, we've been talking a lot about roles. So we started out week one to talk about the role or the identity of our kids, and the fact that Psalm one twenty seven says that our children are both a heritage and a blessing. So they're a heritage in that they extend our influence into the world. They're like arrows being shot into the world to have an impact, and they're a blessing. In, in that they bring about the blessing of God in our life. They, they lead us to dependency on Him. And um, and they, they teach us all, all kinds of things about His character. And then uh, second week, we talked about the role and the identity of parents. And that parents, what, what was your primary role? Do you remember? As mom and dads. Worship leaders. Leading your kids to worship the one true God over and above all the things that we uh, oftentimes, worship in this world, and doing that by setting an example as a lead worshiper. So, just in the way that, you know, when we have people up here singing and leading us into worship, uh, their primary goal, first and foremost, is to have their hearts in a place of worship so that they can bring people to where they're at and, and help facilitate and lead people to the throne of grace. And hopefully, they're not just standing up here singing songs before a a room of people but they're standing before the throne of grace singing to an audience of one and then helping all of us do the same and mom and dad that's your role that's what we do Uh, day by day life happening all the time bringing people to understand what god is like by the way that we live as worshipers and then last week we talked about dads dads what's your role do you remember that What's that? Worship leaders, leaders, yeah. We talked about dads being the primary trainers of their kids. That dads have a role in terms of taking responsibility for the training of their kids and the discipline and instruction into what it looks like for them to grow up into God's influence. And so we talked about some formal ways that we can start to do that day by day. So this week we're going to shift a little bit past Uh, roles and what is the role of of us as parents to what is the goal what is the goal of parenting Um, and there's a lot of ideas out there about what the goal of parenting is right Um, but it's important for us to understand what is it that we're trying to accomplish so as worship leaders and trainers how do we understand what it means to to pour into our kids to actually see real change in their hearts what does it look like for us to be successful at that? So, and, and I'm convinced that we have a lot of reprogramming to do in this area because uh, we are saturated by a culture that has very strong opinions of what parenting should be and what the ultimate goal of parenting is. So, so what, do you, what are some of those things you think are actually part of our culture that says this is the goal of parenting? Okay, yeah, we want happy kids. Successful kids. Get them into an Ivy League college. Okay, yeah, we want them in the right school. Why the right school? Yeah, right. Everything hinges on that, right? Which is why the whole idea of, like, the testing that kids have to go through these days in order to measure up to get into the right school. And, and we heap all this pressure on kids at very early ages to be performers in a whole bunch of different ways. Why? Because we're so concerned that their identity is going to be hurt if they don't get the right things that the world tells them they need to get in order to get, you know, who they are. And it does massive damage to them, unfortunately. What else? Goals of, of parenting. How do you know your success? Thank you. Yeah. Well-behaved, respectful children. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, did, <laughs> says the one who's sitting next to his dad. He's been trained up well, Pete. Good job. <laughs> yeah. So, so, don't alienate your, parent, or your kids uh, so much so that they neglect your care when you're in need. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so a lot of our parenting isn't really based on what we want to achieve for our kids, but what we want to achieve for ourselves, right? So we want to we be able to say something about ourselves in the way that we've successfully parented our kids. And so if we do it well, then that equals us being a good parent, which raises our identity level in the eyes of the world and other people and people that we respect. And we want that, that uh, accommodation. We want that, somebody to, to encourage us with that and go, you've been so great. Good job! Aren't you awesome? And we long for that you are good benediction. And we will do everything in our power to have somebody, someone, tell us we are good. Now the good news of the Gospel is that we've already been told that regardless of our performance. So that should release us from the pressure of having someone say that to us hopefully, if we believe it. I think one of the when it it comes to at least being young and and, um, having young kids, and, and so you guys You get the fruit of us, Mandy and me, being in a season where we have young kids. And so the primary thing that that is on our minds, just to be honest with you, is their behavior as kids. We want the good and respectful kids that are well-tempered, well-mannered, who do the right thing, and we want people to appreciate the fact that they're so. And so when they're not, it it does something to us as parents. We want to correct it. We want to change it. And actually, there's nothing wrong with wanting those things as long as they are not the primary goal of our parenting. It's okay to want those things, but they cannot be the primary goal because the truth is you cannot have real behavior modification without true heart transformation. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. People do what they do because of what's going on inside of them. And so our goal, parents, cannot be just to modify their behavior or get them to act a certain way or or respond a certain way or understand what it looks like to, to make you happy in a certain way. But our goal must be transformation of the heart. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 6. He says, no tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So in other words, in thinking through this in terms of parenting, if you want good things to come out of your kids... There needs to be a good tree feeding from the right source in order to produce the right kind of fruit. And so if you're just trying to get a change of behavior instead of a change of heart, then you're going to do one of two things. Either you're going to train your kids to try to be good And they're going to try for a whole number of reasons. They're going to try because they think it's their duty. They're going to try because they think it will please you. They're going to try because they think it will gain them something in the world and they'll get blessing as a response of it. And what will end up happening to them is they will get disappointed, if not crushed, by that expectation. They will try so hard to please you, and they will fail ultimately. It will lead to their destruction. Or, instead of trying to be good, they'll pretend to be good. How many of you had kids who just pretend to be good? That's, I've got two. <laughs> they pretend to be good, which actually doesn't lead them to being good. It leads them to being good deceptors. Doesn't it? And sometimes it's like foolish because you're like, you're not fooling anyone with your deception. But here's the thing, they will get better at their deception over time. Yeah, we're preparing them to be good, deceiving adults in the world who prop up themselves as being good, even though in their heart of hearts they know they're not, but they cannot be transparent with their hearts, because if they do, they will destroy their identity. Parents, we can lead our kids to be deceptors of us, of God, and of themselves by trying to be good and by modifying their behavior see what we're after we're we're not after those things as parents i hope that's obvious but sometimes i don't think it is in the way that we do things but what we want is real genuine good fruit coming from real genuine good hearts that have been made good by jesus and i'm convinced that we want this for our kids I'm convinced of it. But it's interesting that when we see maybe a, a fruit happening on their tree sometimes, uh, we go immediately to the behavior rather than the root of what's causing the behavior. Um, we're, there are so many to pick from that I couldn't uh, like narrow it down this morning. I had to call Mandy and go, what do you think is the best one? Like, situation for to illustrate this, and and one of the primary ones that's kind of been happening in our household is is uh, with our older son. Every time his friend comes over, and his friend is a, a year and a half older than him, um, he'll he'll be like the best, most well-behaved kid. Like you know, we're having a great day, and then all of a sudden, friend comes over, and he turns into like the most disobedient, disrespectful. You know, like i don 't care what you say, and he and even to the point where we were dealing with this in one day, and um, Mandy was trying to get him to do something, I think it was trying to get him to just come to the dinner table because we were having dinner together, and he said something in response to her that was like blatantly like back off, you know like like i don 't even want to hear what you have to say, and then he turns to his friend and he goes. <sighs> Like, did you just see what I just did? we're like, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, he'll get to that, right? He'll wait until we leave the room to, to do that. And I just want I mean, it is, when something like that happens to you as, as a parent, your immediate reaction is to go into like God mode where like I am the ruler and authority of this home and you will obey, you know, like you will submit uh, to what I just said and, and and I will crush your heart if you do not, you know. Um, but oftentimes as parents, we when we get uh, kind of these things happening that, that are actually revealing the hearts of our kids, our primary, you know, reaction to those things is is something like this, how could you have done that? Don't you know better than that? Why did you do that? Don't you ever disrespect me? Don't you ever respond that way again? Don't you, don't you, don't you, don't you, don't you. And I just, I need to ask, is that the primary question that we should be asking? And I'm speaking to myself at the same time I'm speaking to you. I don't think it is. I think the question that we've been learning to ask when our kids are starting to display behavior that we know is wrong is, what did their hearts just reveal about who they are? What just just popped out of their heart? What came out of their mouth? Because whatever came out of their mouth is what's showing what the heart is full of. So what is the heart full of? See, we could, we could go, well, we, just, we should tell him to be nice and to be respectful and to be a good kid. And we want him to be all those things, but we want it to come from the heart, not just from the lips. God says we can actually worship him with our lips, with our hearts being far from him and be disobedient worshipers. We want their hearts. And so we can either go ballistic on our kids, or if we're thinking about this through like the, the lens of of influencing our friends or others. We can go ballistic on other people or even ourselves when we see this kind of behavior pop up out of the heart. Or we can say, well, at least now I know what he or she is really like. At least I know what's actually going on in the heart. Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, the fruit just revealed the kind of heart that's inside. And it just revealed the fact that there's still work that needs to be done. And oh, by the way, moms and dads, there's still work to be done in your hearts. And there's still work to be done in my heart. And there's still work to be done in my kids' hearts. And there's still work to be done in yours. See, what they're revealing to you is not just a behavior problem. It's not just a chemical problem. It's an identity problem. It's an identity problem. Oftentimes, I think we want to tell ourselves as parents that our kids don't really have evil in their hearts. Now, I I remember, I remember the first time I ever discovered that was with someone else's kids, and uh, I was in I was in college and we were having a retreat and the director, of our uh, campus ministry was leading it with his family and he had his kids there. He had three young boys and the youngest of the three boys, just starts throwing a fit like right in the middle of the meeting. We're talking about like you know, what we're going to do for the college campus that year. And he just goes nuts in the middle of it. And, um, and we're like, wow. Like, and, I, and I'm thinking, man, he's really, like, upset and something's wrong. And, and um, I, I just remember thinking, wow, he needs, like, attention. Like, we need to stop and, like, give him attention and figure out what's wrong and help him through it. And I remember his mom came, like, swooped in, grabbed him, picked him up, throw, threw him over his shoulder. And as she's walking out of the room... He's smiling. He's, he's got the biggest grin on his face and I thought, wow. It starts that early. Like the moment that your kids realize that they can control a room through their actions to get the attention that they seek, they will do it. Out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It's going on. It's going on. See, but I think sometimes... We deceive ourselves, and we think that our kids are primarily good with a behavior problem rather than what the Bible actually teaches. And there are a whole number of places you could actually look at. One of the primary ways is Psalm 14. It says, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind and sees if there's any who understand, any who seek God. He's going like, I just, I just want one. I just want to see if there's one person out there that, that has a right heart before me that doesn't need me to come and change everything. And this is its conclusion. All have turned away. All have been corrupt, have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And you think, well, even kids? Uh, I I think that kids are, they they display a lot of the innocence of, of God's character because they haven't received a lot of the corruption of the world. But they're not just passive victims of the world's corruption. They come into the world with a corrupted heart and contribute to the the corruption of the world. Ephesians 2, verse 1-3 through says it this way, As for you, speaking to the community of believers, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's talking about Satan there. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So if you want to know whose king the world is under, They're under the king of the enemy. All of us, speaking to to believers, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And actually the word for deserving is children. We were children of wrath. In other words, we were born into it with a nature that wanted to contribute to the nature of the world, which is corruption. That's where we're starting from, mom and dad, and you got to know that. All of us need our hearts to be changed. All of us need God to actually come in and change us from the inside out. Now the good news of the gospel says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't treat us according to those things, but according to the goodness of Jesus. And so, it's 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 okay to be honest about our evil. It's okay. I, I, th- I was talking with a, a teacher one time that said, and she was trying to kind of influence the kids in her class spiritually. And, and she, she had the freedom to do this because it's a private uh, school. But she said, I just don't, don't want to bring up the term sin because I'm afraid that it's going to harm their little ears. And they'll think bad things about themselves. And right now, they just love God and they want to serve God and, and they want to know God. And I just I don't want to bring this whole idea of sin in. I said, Well, the idea of sin is already there. It's just you're, you're deceiving them into thinking that they're better than they really are. You're teaching them how to love God based on their love for God rather than God's love for them despite their condition. And we're not doing our kids any favors by doing that, moms and dads. We're not. See, the good thing about Caleb displaying who he is is that his words and actions are just revealing that need. They're just revealing his need for a Savior, which is not a bad thing. It's like a doctor who sees the symptom and treats it according to the severity of what it actually is. So if you went into the doctor and they see a funky-looking mole on your skin, they go, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just take it off at the skin. You won't have to worry about it ever again. But that funky-looking mole happens to be melanoma. You're in a world of trouble, aren't you? You've just treated something on the surface that actually had its roots, deep into your skin and and into your your whole body system. And so it needs to be treated as a whole body uh, disease that's displaying a certain symptom rather than a certain symptom that can be skimmed off at the surface. See, we need to know this because our primary goal is not just to modify the behavior. The behavior just shows the sickness. But our goal is to apply the truth of God, which, by the way, is the only cure for sin, it is the only cure in such a way that God, through His Spirit, actually changes our hearts so that we'll display the symptoms of godly health. See, sometimes the worst thing that we can do is actually mask a symptom. And sometimes, by the way that we parent, we are actually telling kids to cover their symptoms rather than dealing with their heart. Do you see why that's an issue? I'm so grateful that God is gracious to us as parents and he teaches us along the way. And so that shouldn't leave us in a place of condemnation over maybe the way that we have parented, but hopefully gives us a sense of conviction that God might actually lead us forward to parent in a new way. And that's my hope for us. It's my hope for our household. We need to see it that way, though, that the gospel is the cure for sin. And the gospel leads to gospel-centered life, which will then result <clears throat> in a change of behavior. So think about it like a tree. We, I know you've used this analogy a number of times in this illustration, but I want to uh, maybe ap- apply it to a couple different areas of, of parenting for us. And we've talked about this, that, that whatever is being displayed in our behavior is what we're doing. It's the fruit of our tree, but it's not the only part of the tree. And so our tree can display a number of different fruit that are showing kind of what's happening at the base level of the tree. And so we can have emotions that do that. We can have thoughts. Feelings, which I guess is similar to emotion and actions. And all of those things and what they're doing are just revealing certain kinds of fruit that's on the tree and what kind of tree is producing those things. And so th- that's why the, the analogy of the tree has to come into play because in order to deal with actions and thoughts and emotions that are, are, are revealing themselves on the trees of our kids... We need to ask deeper questions than just what are they doing and how can we stop them from doing it. We've got to go deeper than that because whatever seed is planted will produce the tree of that seed which will produce the fruit of that tree. That's how trees work. And that's why Jesus uses this as an an analogy for our lives. So you don't get certain kind of fruit without the right seed producing it. So what is the right seed, the right source that actually produces good fruit? Well, Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, watch what grows on the tree. Because it won't be anything good. John says it this way, Jesus is the Word of God, and Luke 8 says that the Word is like a seed that's scattered on the soil, and when that seed falls on good soil, it produces a good tree that produces good fruit. And so the seed is the Word of God and the Word of God is Jesus Christ. So how do you know when, when a tree can actually produce good fruit? It, the source of the good fruit is Jesus. And so parents, lead your kids to Him. Don't lead them to better behavior. Lead them to a better Savior that can save them into better behavior. It's the way that it works. And God so wants to plant Himself in our hearts. Why He gave us His Spirit was to be able to do that on a daily basis. I've heard, you know, we often put it this way, that when we come to faith in Jesus, we ask Him into our hearts, which we kind of see as maybe a once and done type of thing. But maybe it should be a daily thing. Maybe daily we should be waking up and going, Jesus, I need You to come and sow the seeds of Your life in mine. I need You to come and plant the truths of all that You've done for me, deep in my soul, so that what comes out of me is the fruit of your life instead of the fruit of my life. So you and I, and, and by the way, our kids, need Jesus to plant Himself in us. That's the way that we get good fruit. Out of them and out of us. So we don't just need Him to correct our behavior. We need Him to come and actually change our hearts. So that what comes out of us, what comes out of them is Him. As he leads them. So there are two ways, two two kind of crucial points that we need to start to think about planting Jesus into the lives of our kids. Okay? And hopefully this will help us grab this a little bit better. One, and this is the second thing that we're going to do, we need to plant Jesus while we're demonstrating, while our kids are demonstrating good behavior. When they're demonstrating good behavior. And secondly, we need to plant Jesus into their hearts when our kids are demonstrating something other than good behavior, which seems to be a lot these days for us. <laughs> so let's start with the: How do we go about correcting bad behavior? How do we plant Jesus into their hearts when they're when they need correcting? As kids, well, when our sh- when our kids are showing behavior that are self-centered or not in line with the fruit of the spirit so what's the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control when we don't see those that fruit appearing on the tree we should be asking this question what are they believing in their hearts that is leading to that behavior and the reason that we need to do that is because under every behavior are beliefs. They're beliefs about their identity. their beliefs about who God is and what He's done that are leading to that fruit appearing on their tree. And so think of it this way. When, when our kids display a certain type of behavior or thought or action or emotion, we sh- our goal should be to go from the fruit of what's appearing to the root of what's causing it. And if we see something other than Jesus producing it, then, there needs, then we need to know that there's a seed at the root of that tree other than him producing it. We need to lead them to a better fruit. So let me just... I'm going to use the example of Caleb um, and, and uh, just for time's sake and, and kind of what he was experiencing the other day when his friend was over. So he, he's, he's being disobedient. He's trying to win the affection and the the admiration of his friend. Um, He's trying to appear like he's the one who's in control of the house. What is he saying? So that's what he's doing. What is he saying about who he is? What's his identity revealing about him? Yeah, he's the boss. Another way to say that is he is God. What else? Control. Okay, yeah, he wants to be in control. What else? He wants to look good. Yeah, he wants to appear. Uh, he, he's concerned about his appearance, okay? He's anxious. What would he be anxious over? Right, yeah, and so his parents would, would try as much as possible to do that, a loving environment where he doesn't have to feel like he needs to to perform, to get accepted, where he can rest in our grace for him. And and the interesting thing is earlier that morning, he was doing a really good job of that until the friend showed up, and then it changed everything. So he's, yeah, the the feeling might be anxiety over something, but that anxiety is being triggered by something that he believes he needs to be or that he is that's giving him that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. So he's trying to gain an identity for himself with his friend. He wants to be cool. He wants to be, um, he thinks it's maybe a, a, a good thing to be disobedient. Like, you don't get away with this at your house, but look what I get away with at my house, you know? Which, which, in his mind, will probably win him his friend to spend more time with him. So maybe there's feelings of, like, if I don't appear this way, he will abandon me and i really want him to remain my friend and so in order to do that i will i will do everything i can to keep him there tom what were you going to say yeah yep yep so looking to his friends for credibility what's he saying about god Yeah, God doesn't really care about my actions. What's that? Yeah, or He's not even present. Right. Right, because if He's God, there needs to be no other God. Certainly not mom and dad, certainly not Jesus. Ultimately, I think what He's saying is that God is not a delight, God is not good, He does not bring joy. And so, since he does not do those things, something else must. And I can summon it up myself. Yep, yep. So, I can go after goodness. I can go after joy uh, by doing these things. And it will appease me for a time, but ultimately it will cease to satisfy me. So, there's a, God has not replaced that joy in his heart. Because it's, we worship our way into sin, and we will worship our way out know if you realize that but whenever we sin we are we are we are worshiping our way into that that mode or that experience and in order to actually replace the sin you need to worship your way out which is to say God is the better of those things now the only way you can do that is by understanding who God is and what he's done but that's important yeah Mike yeah yeah, so he's exchanging the, the invisible God for the visible friend and getting an immediate kind of reaction from his friend. Yeah, yep. So, so God uh, is not interested. How would you put that? <laughs> In his identity, maybe. So he needs to do something to grasp it. So, what do you think might be the the way to start going about understanding a change of behavior for him? Well, it's got to be at this level. He needs to understand that there's a different God than the one that he's worshiping in his friend. Ultimately, he needs to know that his friend will let him down if he makes his friend God, and ultimately he will let himself down if he makes himself God. But he needs to know that there is a God who will never let him down and who gives him a different identity not based on what he can do for himself but based on what God has done for him. And so part of what needs to happen in his life is painting a new picture of who God is. So, you know, uh, being able to to say back to him, hey bud, do you you know who God is in this household? You know, we went on a walk a little bit later and we said... um, what does it mean to be God? Well, it means that to be God means that you're the one that's in control and and you're the one that has created everything and therefore you're the one who deserves everyone to serve you rather than you serve everyone else i said it sound i said it seemed to me like earlier today you were thinking that you were God now he needs to know that that he, And what else he needs to know is that God is not okay with him being God in our household. Why is he not okay with him being God? (laughs) Seems like a silly question. There's only one God. Why is there only one God? Because God is the only one capable of fulfilling the job description of being a sovereign God. If Caleb is God of our house, it will crush him. He cannot sustain being supreme in our household. He doesn't have the responsibility to know how to even run a household, let alone be God. I don't even know how to do that. (laughs) And I need God. So I need to paint for him a different picture. Hey, what it means to to know God is that there is a God who exists that loves you when, when your friend is over and when your friend isn't over. There's a God who loves him and knows when he messes up. And he, he, and part of the reason why he's brought him into our house is so that we would love him differently than the love that he experiences when he's in other environments. And do you know what? God can use us to do that. But he won't use us to do that if we're looking to him to, to give us something in terms of an identity. We can't look to him to, to be more than a friend. What does it mean to be a friend? A friend means to to love someone the way that you've been loved. That's what it means to be a friend. That's what Jesus said. So how do we love Him better? Well, we're going to need God to love us well. So who is God? You know, you realize that we have a God in our household who doesn't just demand that everyone serve Him, but He came and He served us? Do you realize that He came as the boss of everything, he came as the creator who had power over the wind and the waves and he came and he gave his life up for us. And, and even when it seemed like things were completely out of control and we needed to be in control because, man, things looked chaotic when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the son of God dying for the sins of humanity. I mean, if there's ever a point in the time of history where it seemed like God was out of control, that was it. But guess what? God was completely in control the whole time. And the good part about him being in control is that he was doing the thing that was most loving to us even when we rejected him. So buddy, even, when, even if you love your friend well and, you're, and you do that by being, dis, by being obedient to mom and dad and your friend doesn't want to come around anymore because you're listening to mom and dad now because you, you know that's the right thing to do, even if he says, I'm never going over there again, you don't have to worry, bud. Because God will give you another friend. Or he'll teach you how to love this friend even when he rejects you. Because guess what? The God that we serve, Jesus Christ, he was rejected by everyone that he loved. We rejected him. Do you know that? Mommy and daddy rejected him. We were the ones that pierced his hands and his feet to crucify him because we didn't believe in him. We were children of wrath. And yet... he, in, even, in our, even in our killing of him, he was loving us. And so we can love our friends even when they don't want us, even when they push us away, even when they don't think well of us. Yeah, so there, there, I think there's a, a preemptive posture to help with the correction as well as a post kind of diagnostic of what happened, which is what you just said. Right? So, on the one hand, kids are different than parents in that they don't have maybe the bank of stored kind of gospel information uh, in their minds and hearts yet to be able to draw from those things in the moment. So, we've discovered that with our son. It's not like we can just go, hey, Jesus, you're not believing, or buddy, you're not believing in Jesus. You know, remember all these things about him in the moment. We're, at the moment, we're just trying to get him to the dinner table. Like, okay, Stop, like, you know, worshiping your friend. Come with us. You need to do it now. You need to listen. That's, like, we're in a position of authority to be able to do the best thing that we know how for you. We know the best thing for you right now is to eat dinner so that you're not cranky and tired later on and so that you can continue to live. You want to continue to live? Okay, good. Come with us to the dinner table. <laughs> that's it, you know? And, so, and that's all you can do in the moment. eventually it's true right eventually it's true so be but because they they need a bank of of information to draw from over time we as parents and you're right this goes back to what we talked about last week we they need parents that sow the seeds of gospel into their bank over time um you, 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 you don't just, you know, when your kids get to 18, you don't just go, well, it's co- time for college. Um, like, we need, you know, $20,000. Uh, where are we going to get that tomorrow? Hopefully, as, as mom and dad, you're thinking through long-term preparation because you know a day is coming when they're going to have to withdraw from that account to be able to go to the, those things. So it works the same with parenting in that we want to be able to sow the seeds of Jesus into their bank account continually over time to be able to draw from those things. And and the truth is it doesn't take long to sow before you start to reap. Um, one of the things that happened, I don't know if it was this situation or a different one, um, where I was uh, one of the things I was able to do when we, when we were correcting him was to draw his attention back to say, hey, uh, What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? Do you remember? Because that's one of our memory verses. Jesus said, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Are you loving your neighbor right now? No, why not? It's probably because we forgot Jesus' love for us. What did he do for us? Real quick, but I'm, I'm drawing on a resource that I've already planted into his heart so that I can pull out of it later on. And he knows that verse. I mean, we've only been doing it for that particular one, I think, for like two weeks, maybe a week and a half. But he can repeat it. So in the moment of correction, drawing from that stored knowledge that's been in there that you need to sow in over time. But then on the back end, because it's not always possible in the moment, but using opportunities later on, once the dust has settled, from the, the moment where everyone's tense and, you know. And sometimes that only takes a few minutes for that to die down to be able to do it particularly with young kids because they move on quickly, you know, from, from what they're experiencing. So we've got like five minutes in time out and we get a different kid most of the time. Now as they grow up, five minutes isn't sufficient. They might have to go and sit on their bed for a couple hours. Or as they get to be teenagers, it may be after a couple days. <laughs> I mean just Or a couple weeks, yeah. Just to be able to come back to them and go, hey, I haven't forgotten about that situation. Can we talk about it now that we're in a different spot relationally? Can we, can we work through that a little bit? So the, the post-op is, is kind of different in every situation, I think. But I, th- I think seeing it in a broader sense than just at the moment is important. Um, and here's the thing I'm, I'm learning about parenting. So much of parenting is like planting a garden in the middle of a field of crabgrass blowing on the windiest day of the year, right? It feels that way, doesn't it? And so there, there are all kinds of, of weeds that are choking out the investment that we're giving into our kids that are coming from all kinds of different sources like television and music and friends and, and their environment. So if we're not sowing the seeds of the truth of who God is on a regular basis, how in the world is there going to be any way for that garden to overcome the grab grass? We need to be people who sow that in continuously. And I think God is faithful with whatever we sow in. He will reap whatever we sow. And so, parents, that means that we can start today with that new understanding and identity and not allow maybe the things that we've done in the past to define what we do in the future. Or give up all hope because, well, we've got a number of years behind us, therefore nothing could ever be done please believe that God can restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He promises to do that. He's faithful to fulfill what he is. He's in the game with you, no matter when you get in the game. He wants to join you in it. We need to sow Jesus into our kids over and over and over again. Here's the second thing. We need to understand what it means to plant Jesus in the lives of our kids when we're praising good behavior. So not just correcting bad behavior, but actually praising good behavior. And you might think, well, that should be easy. Like, what do we need to know about praise? If they do something good, you just tell them, hey, great job, you did something good. What is there to know? Well, it turns out there's a lot, actually. Because we need to ask, where does their good behavior actually come from? So if bad behavior comes from the, the roots feeding off of the seeds of something that's other than Jesus, where do we think that good behavior might go, come from? From Jesus. There's the good Sunday school answer, right? Now you go, as a parent, that can't be the case. Can't be that easy. Can't be. It's not that simple. Well, actually, one of the best examples of this happens to be in First Peter. And Peter is encouraging this group of Christians uh, to not forsake the way that they've been living in their context, even though their culture is starting to give them persecution for the way that they're living and for what they're believing. Um, And so they're they're going, well, maybe we should just give up living good lives. Uh, Maybe we should just become like the culture, because then we'll be accepted more. And God is faithful and He's gracious, and, and He'll work through all of those things. But let's just give up some of the things that make us unique. And Peter actually encourages them not to do that. He, he, he draws on their, their identity and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and, and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. So don't become like the culture. Like Understand that you're not the culture. That you're different from it. So those sinful desires which wage war against your souls. And then he says this, Live such good lives among the pagans, among those who don't yet believe, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see whose good deeds? Your good deeds and glorify who? God. On the day that He visits us. So let me ask this. Why would God get the glory for their good deeds? Yeah, He's where they come from. So so in other words, He's going... Live good lives. I'm urging you. God is with you. He's going to produce that in you. And when he produces it in you, those that don't even believe are going to see the quality of your lives. And then who are they going to give credit for the quality of the lives that they see you live? The one who produced it. They're going to see it in your father. The one who is working in you the whole time. And you might think, okay, well what does this have to do with kids? Parents, it's the same with them. Who do you give credit to when your kids are acting in a way that actually demonstrates the Spirit's work? Do you primarily praise them as though they're the ones who are producing the good in their own hearts? Or do you help them to praise the one who's living his life through them even if they don't understand where it's coming from? So we're seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control... Popping up on their tree, mom and dad don't just go, hey, great job for being so loving. You did it great. Good job. Point to the one and give credit to the one that actually produced it on their tree. See, the truth is this. When they're, when they're good, they are actually bearing the image of God even though they don't know it's God's image that they're bearing. They're image bearers. That's who we all are. And so as messed up as the world is, as, as, as corrupted as our own hearts are, there is something about that image that is still deep buried within our soul and who we are. And oftentimes, we will begin, even without knowing it, acting out of who God made us to be, even in a corrupted way. So moms and dads, when that begins to happen... When you start to see kindness happen on the tree, reveal it to your kids in terms of where it's coming from. So if you see your kids going, man, just being really generous with their siblings, go, hey, do you know who else is generous? We have a really generous God. You know the, the reason that you did that without even thinking about it. You, just, you loved your, your brother, your sister, in, in such a natural way. Look at how much love you gave to them. You shared your toy or you shared your candy or whatever the case might be. And, and man, it brought them joy. Isn't that cool? Do you know who did that for you? It was God. God wants to be the one that does that over and over and over again. He'll actually lead you to do that more often if you think about Him and love Him. Isn't He good? Isn't He gracious that He wants to do that through us? And then we get the joy of experiencing when, when we, we, we're in line with the Spirit. Not only do we get to give out what God has given to us, but then we get to experience the same things. So when we love others more than ourselves, guess what? We get joy because we give joy. And God is the one that's doing all of that. So you might ask, why in the world would you... Teach your kids early on to give God the credit for their good behavior. In our world, that seems completely backwards because our world is primarily concerned about self-esteem. We want our kids to be built up. We want them to have good images of themselves. And I want those things too. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to hurt their self-esteem. I don't want them to have bad self-esteem. But I want my kids don't, not, not to grow up highly esteeming themselves. I don't want them growing up into people that primarily trust in their good works. I don't want them to grow up and think that they can do more than they can do. I want them to grow up and esteem Jesus highly. I want them to know who they should trust in to make them better than they really are and to forgive them when they fail. That's what I want for my kids. Right. Does this make sense? Is this clicking a little bit? I was going to have Mandy kind of come and share a situation that we had recently. Kind of a, according to this uh, area a little bit. She might take in a different direction, but she gets to. I was trying
1: to explain it to Jay to have him tell the story, but.
0: I wasn't there. He so. wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so w- a couple weeks ago, we were having one of those mornings where you like or just feel like all you're doing all morning is fighting not necessarily you know just like just put your shoes on without me asking you six times like that kind of morning and um so by the time we got here and i was happened to be doing sprouts that morning i did not want to come in the building so we sat out in the car for a second and i was just like oh i don't want you know and you want to kind of like stay in that moment but at the same time, no, like the Spirit's telling you, that's not where I want you to be. So um, so I just decided to pray out loud with, you know, with the boys in the car and just asking God to use us to help us be patient the way he's patient with us, to help us to love others the way that he loves us. And so we come in and we do sprouts and, and whatever. And, and there happened to be a new kid in our class that day, and Caleb just loved him, you know, taught him – kind of treated him as a big brother was very concerned about him um you know just the whole time and I was so impressed by that you know and I I was like wow God really used him that morning
0: and this little little, yeah. yeah and then I found out
1: later really that he really needed that you know stuff going on at home and things and and I was we were able to later that day just thank God for that with Caleb, you know, to say, God used you to love that boy. And remember when we prayed about that in the car, that God would use you to love someone the way that he loves you. And it was so awesome. Like, not only that God answered that prayer, because he answered that prayer for me that day, just hearing other stories of what God was doing in other people, you know, but like that's a praise in and of itself. But then to be able to use that to actually say to Caleb like great job for loving him Jesus loves you like that and he like he answered our prayer and he used you and he was he kept repeating it later on in the day we got to talk about it at bedtime again and thank God about it at bedtime and and so you could tell that that Caleb was kind of connecting the dots with that and and just something else too I don't know if Jay actually said it in this morning but when I was reading through the sermon last night something really stuck out to me and That's that a lot of the stuff going on in our life right now with parenting and struggling and and not, and there's a lot of good moments too, you know, but you just remember the bad so much more than the good, which isn't good. Um, But every night after, you know, when we just have the calm of of however long that lasts, you know, the kid-free calm, um, I kind of sit there and, and think about any reactions that I had during the day, and this can apply to all of life, not just parenting, you know, that what, what about the way I reacted? It's not about him. It's not about the other person. It's about what's going on in my heart. And um, so I, I wrote it down just because it's something that's um, – it just spoke to my heart. So just asking Jesus daily, come and sow the seed of your life in mine. Plant the truths of all that you've done deep in my soul so that what comes out of me is the fruit of your life, Jesus, instead of the fruit of mine. So just in those moments of being frustrated and not knowing what to say and wanting to act out of you and not out of Jesus, reminding yourself and asking the Spirit to remind you um, daily to plant those truths deep in my soul so it's not something that someone else can take away or some moment can take away. Um, But it's been this is all, and it's been fun going through this parenting stuff because it's, God's been teaching us a lot about us and not just about our kids, you know, so mm-hmm. we want to remind you guys of that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Would you pray for us? I sure will. <laughs> I can't improve on what she just said, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a great dad, that you are the model of what it looks like to be a parent and to love us. Um, always. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you that you planned that from the beginning so that we could be a part of your family. And um, thank you for the family that you've put us in here. Please help us to help each other, God. We pray that your spirit would be present in us so that we can um, just be in community with each other and hear what's going on, that we can really live life and live it honestly with each other so that we can be used by you to speak the truth of your gospel into us. Please help us to raise our kids well in this church, whether or not we're moms or dads, um, but we're all disciple makers. And um, so I just pray that you would help us to know what to say, help us to lead things back to the truth of your gospel. Thank you that it is truth for us. And please help us to daily Um, I just pray that you would daily plant those seeds deep in our soul like we said and that we would just remember who we are in you that we are loved and forgiven that you are merciful and graceful and good thank you that that's true of us please help us to share that with those around us as well because more than anything we want people who don't know you to come to know you and know the freedom that we have in you and just the overflowing uh, love that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.